Welcome back to Attack of the Third. I'm your host, Night Owl Joe. And I'm your co-host, Darn That Dave. And we wanted to say something before we dive into this current episode. Uh, It was originally recorded before um, the wonderful Richard Donner passed away. Mm -hmm. And uh, we felt it was proper to say something before we dive in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, we didn't like, you know, Richard Donner that we feel like we have to apologize for, but it does, you know, it does color the conversation a little bit, given that the man just passed. Um, and we, you'll hear, but we'll talk a lot about how much we kind of adore his work and how varied and wonderful it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really, I, it was interesting that we just recorded right before and because like, had we not like, yeah, I still would have been saddened by it, but mm-hmm. I don't know that it would have had the impact that it would. Cause it was just like, Oh yeah. Remember Richard Donner, look at all these hits and all these different types of movies. Like every, oh, yeah. every everything from Superman to the Omen. Like it's just like, what a, what an incredible career. Absolutely. Um, I, I agree with all of that. He's, he's been consistent. I think in my life as a moviegoer from the time I was a child it well into adulthood he mm-hmm. his filmography has something not just for everyone uh but i think for almost every stage of life that you're at not not to wax right. too poetic about it but when i was a kid it was the goonies when i was a little older it was superman mm-hmm. you know and yep. then as an adult i discovered the omen and i you know and this whole time it's been the lethal weapon franchise so he's been there you know in one form or another since i was a kid yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing that really hits for me is when you watch movies from filmmakers who are around in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s and on, sometimes mm-hmm. you feel like you have to make excuses for them or right. make excuses for their movies. Um, but there's not really a hint of even like toxic masculinity in his movies. There is there's a kindness to even his action films yeah. that you didn't see then. And I mean, Maybe besides John Wick, you don't really see now. Uh, and, and we'll we'll talk about it in this episode. You'll hear Absolutely. us kind of, you know, go on and on and on about the relationship <laughs> between these two men. Yeah. And you just, especially during the 80s, you did not see that. I mean, this was the time of Schwarzenegger and Stallone, you mm-hmm. know, big guns, big muscles, hot chicks. And, <laughs> and then you have Richard Donner. You know, even if you look at Superman, like doing, Superman is... Yeah, it's a superhero movie. It's an action movie. But like at its heart, it's beating heart is the romance between Clark Kent and Lois Lane. And that is something that like really sticks out, especially if you watch superhero movies now mm-hmm. and you don't really have that palpable romance. And I'm not just talking about, you know, Zack Snyder and DC, but the Marvel movies, too. You don't really have that that deep, deep romance, that core. And Absolutely. I think a lot of that comes from Richard Donner. And I'd, I'd go a step farther. I'd say any time a modern superhero movie even gets close to that, it's because they've probably used Superman as a template. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. even like Captain America, the first Avenger, you know, that tragic romance he has with, you know, Peggy Carter, mm-hmm. that definitely had vibes of, you know, uh, yeah. Superman and Lois. And it's, again, there's probably the most wholesome character in the Marvel universe. Yeah. So, you know, Richard Donner, I, I think a lot of fanboys now they'll go back and say, you know, they'll they'll judge it from uh, a modern standard of it not being, I don't know, faithful enough or this or that. But Ugh, that movie's pure cinematic magic. Yeah. You know? And, you know, a lot has been made, um, especially online, about how sexless the MCU and DCEU is. And if you mm-hmm. go back and watch Superman, like there's a whole scene of him, you know, like, you know, is he using his x-ray vision to see under her clothes? Like, this is not, this is not sexless. And I kind of miss movies like that, that were wonderful for kids, but there was something there for adults too. There were some adult themes there. So it's like all this to say that Richard Donner was an incredibly um, productive and and also incredibly talented film. The cinema world is lesser for him being gone. Absolutely. I, I definitely agree. And uh, before we wrap up this little uh, preface to the episode, um, specifically diving into my little anecdote about, you know, the Goonies uh, as a child, whenever I was sick and I was sick a lot as a kid, just allergies, colds, whatever, um, the, the homeopathic remedy 
was a two liter bottle of Sprite and dad renting the Goonies from Blockbuster. So that is perpetually associated with uh, feeling loved and feeling cared for and, you know, just having a good time, even even in the worst of times, just having a good time. So, yeah, there's I think there's very few other directors uh, ever that are so specifically tied to those kinds of feelings like that, for me, at least. So, yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, frankly, I think Richard Donner would approve. Yeah. You know, I think that is the feeling he wants from his movies. So I think, you know, mission accomplished for Mr. Donner. Rest in peace. Absolutely. Rest in peace. Okay, cowboy. Here's the odds. The time has come. Time for adventure. It's nail biting time again. And this time, this time, this time with a vengeance. This time, it's personal. It couldn't possibly get any worse. Okay, so, Joe, I, as I mentioned at the close of our last episode, I watched all four of these movies, and I cannot believe how well these movies hold up. How good these movies still are. Like, this is, there's a reason this is seen as, like, kind of the ultimate buddy cop movie. Um, Because they are. (laughs) Not only they are, but they're so much better than that. Oh, yeah. Like, Like, I think it sells it short to just call it a buddy cop movie. Even so, I mean, when did the when did the first one come out? So the first Lethal Weapon came out nineteen eighty seven. Yeah. So I was eight years old, and I am very old. So this is a long time ago, and yet, yeah, there's some stuff that doesn't age well in some of these movies. There's some gay panic stuff, which is you know, yeah. it's the eighties and nineties. I expect it, and as a queer person, I don't even get upset about it. Like if it right. was made in the two thousand twenties, yes, I would be really annoyed. But it's the 80s and 90s. I grew up in the 80s and 90s. I remember. So it's fine. Um, But it's so rare to see two men, especially in an action movie, care about each other this much. Like they. Oh, yeah. They love each other so hard. Yeah, in this movie, and it's not just like the build. It starts relative, like about halfway through the first movie. There yeah. is like this genuine, wonderful bond between you know Riggs and Murtaugh. Like it just, and it. I found myself like shockingly moved by this oh, yeah. relationship. Like it's really emotional mm-hmm. to see men interact in this way. Yeah, right for for him to welcome his new you know crazy partner into his home. Yeah. Into his family. Like, so by you get by the time you get to like maybe, you know, 20 minutes into movie two, you're like, he's he's his brother. Yeah. Like that's 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 Uncle Riggs. Like a family dog. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I could see that. But I mean, I also see him as like the the cool uncle, right? Like the one that the kids are like, oh yeah, we love that guy. He's great. Definitely. Um, and you notice, I think, through these movies that no one can truly calm Riggs down when he's incited yeah. like to that level. But the only one who can be by his side is Murtaugh. He wouldn't oh, accept yeah. anyone else. And as I watched all these movies back to back to back, I shockingly, there's, there's four of these, right? So that's yeah. like eight hours that I put in and I was sad that there wasn't more. Oh yeah. Like I was like, cause it never, well, even the, in the fourth one that like wraps up everything, yeah. it never feels like it's run it into the ground. It does feel like there could be more stories to tell. Right. Even if you did something that was like in between two and three or in between three and four, like it feels yeah. like there's even more to tell here. And it's just like, I just got this really warm feeling as I was watching oh, yeah. this quadrilogy of movies. So this was just, honestly, this was such a treat to kind of go back. I was a little worried when I first sat down, like, man, I hope this, <laughs> I hope this holds up. Like it's the eighties. Also it's Mel Gibson. So you got that like anti-Semitic stuff in your head and him being just a fucking monster yeah. in real life. But like, it's such an enjoyable performance from him and from Danny Glover that like all that stuff, at least for me, and you know, maybe this is my privilege speaking. I'm not a Jewish person, so I don't have, you know, the extra level of like, Ooh, God, I really hate this guy now. Right. Um, but, but all that stuff really faded away for me because it's mm-hmm. such a kind of, it's such a known character, not only Riggs himself, but like other versions of that character that have, 
come up in in film since 1987 like they've been trying to redo this chemistry forever oh yeah and i'm not sure that they've ever recaptured it i mean i think the closest things are other shane black movies yeah right because he created these characters so you've got Mm -hmm. like the nice guys which is which is a little different yeah kiss kiss bang bang as well um but those those relationships are a little more antagonistic uh, than this. You have a little bit of that maybe in the first 30 minutes of the movie, but pretty quickly they start to understand each other and care about one another where I don't think you get that. I mean, you get that at the end of the nice guys, but like, I would say up until maybe there's like 30 minutes left (laughs) in the movie, they're still at each other's throats. Like this fucking guy, I can't wait to knock this guy out again. And like and that all goes away yeah. in Lethal Weapon by, you know, the first act ending in this movie. And they're just bonded to one another. And I love yeah. it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think the difference is um, Murtaugh is a dad. He's a family. Yep. And he, yep. he's a good dad and a good family man. And he's the kind of he's the kind of person who's dealt with a lot of shit, you know, with his own kids. And, and you know, uh, presumably, like, get, getting really into the weeds of his character here, because the movie does invite that kind of analysis. Um, he He's not just a dad. He's he's a black man as well, you mm-hmm. know? And, like, presumably, he's, you know, had to deal with a lot of shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, culturally, socially. And he's in such a unique position to acknowledge Riggs as a human being and a person who needs to be loved rather than as just a weirdo who needs to be kicked to the curb, right you know? And I think there's, there's little moments throughout the first movie where that happens. And, you know, it, like you said, like so, so many minutes in, he, you know, Riggs is like a, he's like a mutt. He's like a dejected dog. And here's, you know, Danny Glover's character. Like, all right, I'm gonna have to adopt this fool, you know? Right. Right. Uh, no one else is going to take care of this. No one else is going to take care of this stray. So let me, and yeah. I think you're right. It, it does really help that he's a dad. So like, I think if, if he wasn't, I'm not sure it makes sense for him to welcome him. Yeah. Right. But given that he's like this empathetic, loving father, yeah. Um, it ends up really, really working. And, you know, it's it's interesting by the time we get to the third movie yes we are finally talking about lethal weapon three and not just <laughs> the, the the you know the uh all the movies at once but you know the first couple movies you know obviously mel gibson is the sex symbol here right he's right. he's pulling ladies left and right and of course he has you know a romantic interest here but this is the first one where it's someone where he like meets his match oh yeah um and R- renee russo one Oh my God, that woman is so, so beautiful. It is upsetting. Um, But I remember this so vividly, the comparing scars sequence. Like it is the first thing I think of when I think of Lethal Weapon movies. I don't know why it is stuck in my mind so clearly, but like, as this happened again, I was like, I felt like, you know, I felt like it was 1992 again. Like, cause this, I saw it when it came out, I was 13 years old. Right. So for, you know, a horny 13 year old, this is great. Like two beautiful people uh, kind of showing off in this very different way, a way you yeah. don't usually see in an action movie. And I like that she calls him out on the carpet constantly. Yeah. She, she checks him and not in a way where she's like, you know, nagging or being cruel, but just sees him for exactly what he is. And that yeah. is so rare, not only in movies, but just in general in yeah. relationships. So like you are rooting for them from the very beginning. And I'd like to point out that in the first movie, when Riggs is talking to the psychiatrist, he makes that face at her where he like crosses one eye and like makes that goofy face. In mm-hmm. this movie, when he's walking out of the, the office, the captain's office, she makes that same face at him. Yeah. Yeah. And then That's like nice. in, the, in the first movie, he's watching like the three stooges. And then when he goes to her place here, she has like the three stooges computer yep. game. He's yep. like, Hey, it's the boys, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yep. I love those little details. Because, you know, Dick Donner's not just making action movie part three. He's definitely, he cares about these characters, you know? He's definitely yeah. bringing the, the gang back together, you know? Um, and it, it shows. Like, he, he pays as much attention to the characters and the emotional stakes as he does to the action stakes and the danger. And right. I think that's very rare. I think in most action franchises, even the ones that pull off a similar balance very well, it's movies that are wrapped around the action first and everything else sort of comes after. 
Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel it's the opposite here. I feel like Lethal Weapon doesn't have a leg to stand on if it doesn't have its emotional stakes. Right? Yeah. It would have been white noise. Absolutely. And the reason it works so well, the reason even half of these action scenes are memorable in the in the least is because Riggs, his character, the known quantity that he is, there's there's the the character motivation fueling it. Like in mm-hmm. the first movie, you know, uh, no shoes, shirtless, running down the street. You know, it's a scene you've seen in a million movies, but this is Riggs, you know, right, right. cutting loose. And, yeah. uh, you know, Murtaugh asks him, he's like, are you as good as they say you are? He's like, yeah, I like that. I'm that <laughs> fucking good. It's so dynamic and dramatic. And it helps that like Mel Gibson and Danny Glover are both like world-class actors Right. Um, and, and they're not just like um, actors that have been relegated to action movies. Um, e- even other action stars who clearly have capacities beyond what the genre saddles them with, like Vin Diesel, Jason Statham, you mm-hmm. know, they're always action guys first. But like Gibson has a career outside of just action movies. And so oh, does yeah. Danny Glover. Like, mm-hmm. absolutely. You yeah. know, and here he is spouting one liners and, and, you know, firing guns. But he's still you know, he's cast because of what he brings to the role of Murtaugh. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think I'm hoping I didn't, you know, get this wrong. And if it was in the wrong movie, feel free to tell me. Um, But I think this has two of my favorite moments of the entire franchise. So you've got, this is the one where he's on the, the motorcycle with the like broken windshield, right? Yes. Yeah, just a great, just a visually. Oh, yeah. beautiful and it's it's one of the things i think that people think of when they think of the lethal weapon action sequences because he's like coming out of the smoke yes oh it's just so beautifully filmed in such a donner moment and does this is this also the one with the catastrophe moment or is that lethal weapon too no that's this one everybody's outside just me you and this cat are dumb enough to be down here Nearly a catastrophe, huh? Okay, good. See, this is great. The the third one is clearly the best because, you know, it's weird when, like, lines just get in your brain and they don't leave. Like I said, I haven't seen these movies for years since the fourth one came out, but that line always gets me and always makes me laugh and I will always remember it. We almost had a catastrophe. It's just, it's such a good (laughs) action comedy line and it really... It works one because Gibson delivers it perfectly, yeah. but also like <laughs> all through these movies, Danny Glover's like exasperation. <laughs> like he knows his friend so well, but he's like, "Dude, will you fucking stop? It's a bomb! Like, dude, can we stop. not? Can we not fucking joke about this right now, dude? Like, and we've gotten this long, but we haven't mentioned Joe Pesci, um, oh, which course. like it's such." <laughs> I love Joe Pesci as an actor. Obviously, you know, you think of Joe Pesci, you think of things like. Goodfellas, right? That's the first thing that comes to mind for most people. Most people. Um, but like his, I don't know if this is in the script, if this was direction, or if this is pure Pesci, but his cadence <laughs> in these movies. Okay. 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 They love him. Yeah, he's part of the family. He's part of the family. Like, he's there for the birth of of these children. And it's just like, you know, he helps them out. And it's just like, and it could so easily be a worse set of movies if you just have him be obnoxious and then they, like, knock him around and then he disappears. But instead, they build him into a real character who has a place in this world, you know? And, And that, I think really for me boils down why these movies are so great Mm -hmm. is that there are a hundred opportunities for black and Donner and, uh, and Gibson and Glover and everyone involved here to take the easy way out. And they almost never do. Yeah. Right. Instead they make it a whole complete story, a complete arc for these characters. Like if you look at, especially who Riggs was in movie one and who he becomes in movie four, they're, almost unrecognizable from one another. And yet when you watch them in sequence, 
it completely makes it sense. Works. It you know? very much like, works. Like, I love that there's a sequence in the fourth one where he's trying to hold his tongue. He's trying to keep a secret and uh-huh. he just can't manage it, you know? Whereas yeah. in the first one, he just would have said it. Like, yeah. fuck it, I don't, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm a wild card. I do what I want. But because <laughs> he has something to live for now, yeah. something to fight for. And there's a moment, you know, in the fourth one where he's like, you know, essentially saying goodbye to his dead wife. You know, and oh, yeah. it is it is a really moving moment, like shockingly yeah. moving for this type of movie. And it's just like, man, I I really expected as I was watching this, one of these movies to stand out is like, well, that's the fucking weak link. This sucks. Um, but they're all like they're different levels of good. to yeah. Great. Yeah. But like, honestly, I could watch any of these movies in a vacuum. And be total and be totally pleased and have a great time. Yeah. You know, you know what surprised me the most in these movies? What's that? And this is like, you know, a little weird, but Danny Glover, very well built. Um, yeah, I, he I, is. <laughs> I, I think I had this image of him as this like older kind of overweight guy, like yeah. Yeah, in a like obese kind of way. Like, like a but, Mr. Rogers type of guy. Right. And then yeah. he, like, I think it's in the second or third movie and he like, he's shirtless. And I was like, okay, Danny. Yeah, exactly. And I was shocked by this. And it almost like. <laughs> Not to like, you know, insult Danny Glover at all, but like it's like his head doesn't fit with that body because he's got yeah. that kind of goofy dad yeah. thing going on, which really works for the movies. But then you look at his body and you're like, okay, all right, all I right. guess I yeah. wasn't prepared for that, you know. He wasn't ready. <laughs> and, I, and I guess, you know, it, it plays on a lot of stereotypes in this movie, right? You've got the like, you know, the guys, you know, going back and forth about his wife's cooking and all this stuff. But but I like that they it's it's a very male relationship in that way where they constantly are both giving each other shit. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But somehow and a lot of it's just performance. I don't think it's necessarily even writing. You feel the love coming off of these two dudes yeah. so heavily that you can never. And then there's a moment in in a couple of these movies where they fight. Yeah. And they get really angry at each other, and it is hurtful to watch. It is. Like, you're just like, no, God, but you're buddies. Yeah, you are the buddy cops. You guys have to be together. You know. Yeah. And there's, I think it's in the third one, the moment where he like, I think it's with the motorcycle actually, where he ends up falling off this precipice and nearly breaking his ass. Yeah. And you see, and you see Murtaugh go to him. Yeah. And take care of him. Yeah. Not, not in this macho bullshit. Get up, man. Shake it off. Like just like grabbing his arm and helping him up and making sure he's okay yeah and I, and I like that the movie goes from you know the first movie him separating his shoulder is a joke that he uses to his advantage and by the third or fourth movie you could tell like man i gotta he is getting too old for this shit just like <laughs> murtaugh was and he's like man this fucking hurts like i can't do this for that much longer man and i love <laughs> that growth of his character you know and I was watching this movie struggling to like, okay, what are the negatives of these movies? And it's right. really hard. I would say, I would say the relationships that Riggs has in one and two with women are not great. They're clearly just there because, okay, Mel Gibson is hot. So we got to have him having sex on screen because that's what you do. And that's not great, but the third and fourth movie make that stuff worth it because it becomes his romance actually becomes a character arc for, for Rick. So, so I think they handle it really well. And I was just thinking about the insane career that Richard Donner has had, because just, I was just looking at the, so it's like, you know, underrated is an overused term, right? Right. But I think especially for younger viewers, they don't really know like how big, so like the, you know, how big the first Superman movie was like that was a massive, massive hit. But if you look, I mean, he did Superman, Superman two, and he did the toy, the, like the Richard Pryor movie. He did uh, the Goonies, Lady Hawk, obviously all the lethal weapon movies, but then like assassins, Scrooge, um, uh, what else? A conspiracy theory, like Maverick, like, like these are, it's, you know, granted, there's a lot of action stuff in here, right? But they're all so different from one another, and I'm yeah. not sure. I would have to watch them all to really speak on this. But other than their cool action movies, and I like them, 
I think I would have trouble figuring out like, what are the Donner touches? Like, what are the, what are the Donner-esque moments? Like if you watch directors like Fincher, right. like Spielberg, you know, you're watching one of their movies. Right. Spike Lee the same way, but like Donner, I think he just makes like fun cool I, uh, movies. Yeah. Like, it's just... <laughs> I, I, I think, I think he's more, more than Spielberg. Um, and a lot of people compare him to Spielberg precisely because of movies like Superman and the Goonies, which sure. are, they operate in the same arena as like, you know, you know, E.T. and Jaws, that, that, that kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. blockbuster of that era. But it, as far as like stylistically and like what he's been able to accomplish over his career, Richard Donner is like David Fincher, right? David Fincher, to use a phrase that people are throwing around now, understands the assignment. David Fincher can make five consecutive movies about serial killers, and you would never realize they're all directed by the same man. Mm. Right? Because each one would be wildly different. Right. Some, some directors find their little niche. Even amazing directors do this, and it, like, it feels the same. You know, Not even in a bad way, but you can tell, oh, yes, I'm watching a Steven Spielberg movie. Right. Oh, right. oh yes, I'm watching a John McTiernan movie. But like Richard Donner and David Fincher both do that thing where they like they expand to fit the shape of what they are working on. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's always with, especially with Richard Donner, like his range is crazy, right? Like the Goonies, that's from the same guy who did lethal weapon. It's what? crazy. It's totally what? crazy. How, how do you pivot to that mentally? Right. This is like, like Spielberg pivoted from like uh, Jurassic Park to Schindler's list. Like, yeah. like he, he's done that kind of switch like once or twice, but like, with Dick Donner, like every day, he's like just picking a new genre off the shelf. Like today, right. you're like, I'll make a Peter Pan esque, uh, Peter Pan esque fantasy about Superman. And then tomorrow, he's like, I want cops, right? right. Like right. it's so right. drastically different. And it's like, I love it. I love it. I love Richard Donner's career. I love his movies. And you know, I, I do. I do want to take a step back for a second and like point out, you know, Shane Black. And Mel Gibson, especially two mainstays of this franchise, not exactly spotless in their public images, to nope. say the <laughs> least. Um, but I, I think here's one thing that, um, like, and this is someone we kind of touched on with Die Hard. Like, to know John McClane in person would be to know an asshole of a person, mm-hmm. right? Like, he's probably said some terribly racist shit, some irredeemable shit, but, like, his character doesn't need to go there for the movie, the movies, you know? I think it's the same with Riggs, right? Like, it, we, we see it in the, in the lens of the movie as a cop. Like, this, he's, he's crazy, he's a wild card, he's suicidal. But, like, you know, if you're, if you're getting into the weeds about it, who knows what the hell else his character's done? Who knows what Murtog has had to, you know, like, grin and bear it and let it slide and then tell him later, hey, that wasn't cool, you know? And I feel like, and maybe this is my way of rationalizing it, you know, white male privilege, who knows, but like Mel Gibson probably needed somebody to pull him aside and say like, what the fuck is wrong with you, man? Like he he needed a Murtaugh in real life. Like this is not okay. Like I'm not going to condone your behavior. Like you're, you're really fucked up, man, but we need to go, we need to work on you, you know? And I think it's weirdly prescient how progressive these movies are despite their cast both in front of the camera and behind the behind the camera like to to have lethal weapon in the 80s have like this you know enduring and well fleshed out example of black male fatherhood without without any caveats right there's never a moment where it's like, you know, they're leaning super hard on like a stereotype, a black stereotype, really. You know, it feels like it was informed by the people who play them, play the characters, and it feels authentic. You know, right. It does. It doesn't feel like you're being told what a black family is uh, by a white person. Uh, it feels like, you know, Dick Donner knew enough to step back and like let his actors inform the inform the parts, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and in the and in the 80s and 90s, like not even just that type of family, but just showing a black man who is there for his children was yeah. like almost like yeah. sadly revolutionary. Yeah. Especially in in a movie that is not a quote unquote black movie, like just right. for black audiences, but right. for you know, a four quadrant crowd pleaser. Mm-hmm. Like this is and having the white guy be the like wild card, the immature one, like 
is a really interesting choice. And I think it ends up really working to its advantage. I found myself wondering, what did you think? So there's this whole weird subplot of um, Murtaugh's oldest daughter crushing on Riggs. (laughs) Yeah. And Um. (laughs) and they string this out for a while through the movies. And like even through like the third and fourth movie, they're still greeting each other by like kissing each other on the lips, even though he's having a baby with someone else. And so is she. So... I got, I felt like, so I knew why they were doing it, right? They were doing it to create this, like this reaction out of, out of Murtaugh, right? Right, So you get the Danny Glover, like freak out, which is always enjoyable, right? So that's why the movie is doing it. But did you feel like they pushed that too far? What was your reaction to that in kind of rewatching this movie? Um, in, in, in the third one, like, okay. So uh, let me back up for a sec. I've seen, probably all four movies at least every other year since mm. I was like 11. Like like Die Hard with the Vengeance or the Die Hard series in general, this is like a mainstay in my household. Whenever we want to have a good time, we put on Lethal Weapon. You know? Okay. Like, it, it's become like tradition, pretty much. Um, so I, I've seen it enough that maybe I, I've seen it too much. It's like normal to me at this point. Mm, you mm-hmm. know, like it, it, I, it's not something I have fresh eyes on. Uh, it always it, it it always seemed to me like a, a joke that they were sort of like, you know, ribbing along the whole time. And I wonder I wonder if it was supposed to be like the characters themselves are aware of it, too. Like Riggs clearly is yes. like like he fucking plays it up sometimes, you know, like just to egg him on and shit. Um, but I don't know. I don't feel like they played it too far or that it was too weird. Um, but that's just me. You know, maybe I don't have the perspective. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, I think by the third movie, it's weird. Like one and two, I'm like, okay, I can forgive this. Like, especially one, Murtaugh, like the, or Riggs is, you know, a, the true wild card and not sure if he really wants to even be friends with people and all this. And the second one is they're building that friendship. But by the third one, it's like, okay, you're, you've been with these other women. You're now, you know, flirting with this, you know, internal affairs chick. And, you know, that's clearly going to become something. So what are we, what are we doing here? And it, and it, feels like it feels a little cheap um to like go back to the well with the same joke over and over again yeah it's one of those like these movies are too well written for me to just like let Let that go yeah you know what i mean in in almost any other movie i'd be like that's fine but like i just you know weirdly like i just expect more yeah from from a lethal weapon movie because this movie's like you know is filled with jokes like there's really good action in this movie, but there is, it's not some action comedies seem to get confused and they get lost. And then the comedy goes by the wayside when they jump into the action. But here, even the action sequences have elements of humor to them. Right. So it doesn't feel like it even needs that extra joke. Uh-huh. So it's like, okay, let's just move on. We've made that joke six times in the first two movies. Let's yeah. let's go on to the next thing here. But but yeah, uh, but I think that's a really interesting point that you bring up that I think the more you watch a movie, and especially when they become kind of comfort movies, it yeah. becomes difficult to be critical. Because oh, yeah. you're like, yeah, that's but that's what it is. Yeah. That's what it's always been. Why are we what don't don't pick it my favorites? Like yeah. it's <laughs> it's a nice movie. Leave it alone, Dave. <laughs> uh, actually, I was very I was very fascinated, a little apprehensive to hear how you reacted to this because like when when I have I have like a core rotation of movies that I'm gonna watch like every year every other year regardless of what happens you know mm-hmm. and and I I, I kind of figured this wasn't on that kind of rotation for you so right. I, I was very eager to hear the perspective of somebody who hasn't you know seen these movies a million times even my friends haven't like you know people who speak the same language as me as far as like movies are concerned right like. Oh, I've seen Lethal Weapon. That's a good movie. Have you seen the others? No, I haven't. Damn it. You know, like, how could you not? How could you watch just one and not the others? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, because, like, I, I I quote all these movies on a regular basis. They become part of my vernacular that's, like, just sure. organic to me. My dad gets on my case about something. I'm like, okay, 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 okay. I'll take, I'll take <laughs> the trash out. Are you happy? The trash is outside. Okay, okay. You know, and it's like, and he does the same thing, like, with the it's just so integral to my identity as a movie nerd, you know, I mean, for, for Pete's sakes, like I discovered this franchise before Die Hard, even, yeah. you know, like I saw lethal weapon 
like the same year I saw speed for the first time. Mm, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's just like, it was revolutionary to me, you know, that's, and, a, good, that's a good action year, man. That's, yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. yeah. And you know, it just, it's so, it's so normal to me. It's like somebody interrogating the concept of Christmas. Like, what do you, what do you mean? Right, like, right, like, right. Totally. Like, what do you mean you don't put like Christmas lights on your tree? What do you mean you don't have a tree? What is, what do you mean? Like, what is like, this? Throg with you. Yeah. I think it's also Christmas. Duh. <laughs> I think also kind of doing a little bit of research about this movie. It just goes to show you that you never really know what you're going to get. Right. This is a yeah. movie that the original script I bet it's fucking terrible. Yeah. Um, Cause if you look at some of the changes that were made and also kind of cool uncredited, but Carrie Fisher was a script doctor yes. for this movie. That's awesome. Oh, Carrie yeah. Fisher rules. So that's always a good thing. Um, but the Renee Russo character was a dude and there's not, it was not a romance for Riggs in the first draft of the script. Huh. And like, and this movie, honestly, this movie is bad without her in it. Yeah. Like it just, it doesn't work. It would be because Riggs like, doesn't have an arc at that right. point. He has nothing to do, but like act crazy and, you know, ride on a motorcycle, which is great, but he like you need, it. you need a little bit more. And also it'd be, you know, and I think you could argue this about the first two movies, which is why it's so important that Murtaugh's family plays an important role in these movies. It's just yeah. very dude heavy. Right. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. this one would, when you add Pesci to the mix, it would be even more so where it's just mm-hmm. like a bunch of dudes fighting for two hours. And I think you need, you need her there to kind of balance out the energy of this movie, oh, yeah. you know, like not that she's like ultra femme or anything, but just like not having a bunch of dudes on screen for two hours. Yeah. It's nice to have that little bit of balance there. So it's like, you know, you look at the changes that were made and you're just like, Oh my God. Thank God for script doctors. Thank God for second drafts. Like, and I guess Donner read the script and he was like, uh, no, we're like, not, yeah. we're not doing that. <laughs> like, it's, and just... it's no small coincidence. Like you mentioned Carrie Fisher was the script doctor for this. Like it definitely takes a female perspective to like line things up. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. To, like say, this is what you're missing. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, like how, how typical is that? Like guys think they have it all sorted out. And they don't like re- they don't realize what's missing like right in front of them. Yeah, like because like I, uh, it's kind of funny. It's very tangentially like an- anecdote, but like I took a picture of my living room to show uh, a female friend of mine, and we have like this um, like end table thing that we just mm-hmm. didn't really know where to put, and it's kind of like in the middle, or at the time it was like in the middle of everything, just like off to the side, and she's like. That's going to drive me nuts if you don't fix that. That needs to be moved. Like that that's not okay there. Like what is wrong with you? Like how do you just leave that there? Like yep. you know, we just don't notice it. Like how do you not yep. know, how do you not notice it? Yeah. And yep. you know, it's kind of the same thing um with with th- this movie, you know, like introducing Lorna Cole. She she like you said she calls Riggs on his bullshit and it's so the energy is like electric watching them play off of each other because he has met his match. You know, like we we've seen what it's like when, you know, he has that early antagonistic relationship with somebody like he does with Danny Glover. And then he becomes accepted into that family fold. Uh, but like Danny Glover is the polar opposite of his character. You know, he's a stable individual, a family man wants to retire, et cetera, et cetera. But like, Riggs has and like, even his love interest in the second movie is kind of like a damsel in distress, like kind of yep. meek and mild, you know, and having her come in here and like just be him, but like confident and secure and stable and still own all those quirks and like those personality traits that are just out there. It was, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, wow. And it was so much fun to watch. She's so mm-hmm. great. And yeah. like, like you said, like everything else just sort of melts away. Cause like, they're, they're so good, you know? Yeah. And yeah. like, I just sit there, you know, like my, my chin on my hand, just like, yeah, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and she's fantastic, but more than that, she is the element that makes lethal weapon three worth watching. Like you said. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in our last episode, we were talking about the Jason Bourne franchise and kind of Mm -hmm. bridging. And I think this movie, you know, although well before the Bourne franchise, does a really interesting thing um, with her, you know, kind of almost death in this movie Mm -hmm. is that they you get to see 
for a flash what losing her would mean for yeah. Rick's. Yeah. But she gets to live. Yeah. Right. She gets to continue her arc as a character, both at the end of this movie and on to Lethal Weapon 4. And I love that for this movie because it would have been like it is a staple of the buddy cop genre that like someone gets in the way and someone dies. And that is what spurs them on to action. And I think, you know, you get that with like the, you know, the young cop um, who comes along with them in this uh, in this series. But it would have been very easy for them to do that to Lorna. Yeah. Uh, and it made me so happy when they didn't, you know, cause again, yeah. it's been so long since I watched this and I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure she lives. Cause there's a whole yeah. pregnancy thing. But for that moment, as she like turns that corner and gets plugged, yeah. it's like, Oh my God. But then you get to see not only how scared he is, but what that fear will do for him, that it finally will let him admit that he loves her, that he cares about her, that he wants to be with her, that he's willing to move past a lot of his damage and trauma to make a real attempt at a life with her. And you get it all in like this little 15 second moment. And it's maybe my favorite Mel Gibson moment in the series is that bit right there. It's like, he really just dives into it and it would be very easy for it to be over or melodramatic. And it isn't, it's just like a man realizing how much he loves this woman. Right. And it's, it's so pure. And there's so much about these movies that I feel like that about. Where it's like, you know, we talked a lot about the relationship between Riggs and Murtaugh and it just is really a pure, sweet, beautiful, intimate relationship between these two tough guys. Yeah. You know, like, it's oh, yeah. just like, and I wish there were more movies like this, not just in this universe, but like more movies with characters who bond that genuinely and quickly with one another. Oh, yeah. And I, I definitely agree. And I think that's that's part of the appeal of this franchise. Uh, uh, you know, ironically, it's an action movie that I would watch even if there was no action in it. Yes. Like if this was a straight up drama, like a dramedy, I would watch it. You know, mm-hmm. my favorite moments aren't, oh, that stunt or, oh, that shootout. It's like, oh, sure. that moment where Riggs, you know, admits to Danny Glover he doesn't have any other friends, you know, uh, right. a short lived revelation, to be sure, because, you know, soon there's, you know, um, you know, Joe Pesci's character and, you know, <laughs> Lorna Cole. And he, he ends up uh, you know, growing this you know, extended family over the course of four movies. Mm-hmm. And like I mentioned in our previous episode about the Fast and the Furious movies, that's the same appeal that they have. You know, yeah, like yeah. They're, 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 you know, using simpler language, cinematic language, simpler, but it's the same concept. Like, and, and I think that was one of the things like people criticize Paul Walker's acting. And I'm like, yeah, but it, as they should. Yes. Yeah. But He's like that actor. Yeah. <laughs> but like he didn't need acting to have that dynamic with Vin Diesel but in, 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 in a much different sense, but also in an incredibly similar sense. You know, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover, they had that chemistry where it's like, yes, you believe on the silver screen that these men are friends, that these men are brothers, Yeah, you know, and Paul Walker and Vin Diesel had that. And that's why I would argue that it took longer for that to sink in. I feel like you get you got to get to like movie two, movie three, and then you're like, okay, I buy it now. Whereas the first one, it feels like you're having to make leaps to explain it. Yeah, I agree. This, like, I mean, 15 minutes into the movie, you're like, oh, you guys are fucking best friends forever. Like, well, there is, yeah. like, you just know it <laughs> right away. Like, it's just the perfect pairing. Because yeah. I think sometimes you get movies like this and you can tell one of the actors is doing the heavy lifting. Right. And that is not the case here. Yeah. Both of them are giving just as much as the other one is. You know, oh, yeah. and you're just like, man, it's just like, I don't know. It just makes me, like I said, I get this warm feeling when I think about the Lethal Absolutely. Weapon movies. It's just wonderful. Like, Absolutely. I'm so happy I got to watch these. And, you know, it's it's definitely the same here. And I think, like, if anything, the trend of what we've, you know, been talking about in, in all the episodes we've covered action movies in, it's like, it's more effective when you care about the characters. Yes. You know? it's effective when, you know, John McClane spends the whole movie wishing he apologized to his wife. It's Mm -hmm. effective when you see them embrace. And I think that's why, you know, um, I'm not saying that it's a bad movie. I'm not recanting my stance on it, but I think that's two sucks. I think that's maybe why (laughs) shut up, Dave. I think that's maybe why I'm so amenable to die hard too. And maybe even blind Mm. to its shortcomings 
because mm-hmm. it still does function on that emotional level. You know, sure. he spends the whole movie trying to get back to his wife. And, you know, Bonnie Bedelia is such a sweetheart that I'm, I'm always down to watch her, you know, be be her badass, adorable self and anything, you know. Right. So let like, me I, ask you, let me ask you a difficult question. Sure. So you brought up Die Hard. Right. There's, a, there's a series of Die Hard movies. There's a series of Lethal Weapon movies. OK. Which is, which is the better series overall? Lethal Weapon. Oh, it's not even close for you. Not even close. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because like, okay, like um, Die Hard 1, fantastic movie. You know, uh, Die Hard 2, it's it's like Rambo 2 to me. Like, I, I love it on so many levels, but I, I don't consider it like a classic, right? Like, it's a genre fans classic, but I wouldn't say it's like a must-see movie by any means. Sure. Die Hard 3 is fantastic, you know, but each one of these movies, even the fourth one, which I also really love, they're isolated in a sense right mm. like you could i could watch die hard 3 without feeling the need to watch the others i could watch die hard 2 without the need to watch the others but with lethal weapon you gotta like, watch all of them man i gotta watch all of them and i didn't do that yeah. this time and i'm probably gonna rewatch three in the process of watching one two and four soon yeah you know because like we're talking about the whole time i'm sitting here i'm like oh yeah that moment and that moment it's like <laughs> oh right. man you right know, and, and, and like i said like Die Hard without the action, it's not a movie, you know. Mm, but lethal, lethal Weapon without the action, there's still a very effective platform for Gibson and Glover to act their asses off and still deliver characters we want to see even more of after four movies. Yeah, see, it's it's really interesting because I, I mean I agree obviously, but like I don't have the affinity for Die Hard two that you do, so <laughs> not a surprise that I would rank Lethal Weapon above yeah. the Die Hard. I mean I think the first Die Hard is better than anything in the Lethal Weapon series as like just wow. a quality. Because yeah. um, I, I mean, I think it's the best action movie ever made. Like, I mean, it's just, you know, yeah, that's yeah. hard to live up to. Yeah. But if you take it as an entire series, like I was worried going into watching this, not just because I was like, oh, you know, maybe it won't hold up. It's a different generation, blah, blah, blah. Right. But also I was like, oh, okay, I gotta watch four movies. Like I hope, because <laughs> like what happens if I put in the first one and I'm like, oh, I don't really ugh. and then i gotta sit through another two hours like am i gonna want to do this but like i watched the first one and this the first thing i did was put on number two immediately yeah, yeah like yeah. i was just like this is so fun i cannot wait to yeah. hang out with these guys again exactly. like this is fantastic so like yeah it's uh it would very i would be a very long day but it would work as just like watching them back to back to back to back yeah. Like it's not something that gets boring. It's not something that gets tedious. And that is a rarity in yeah. any franchise. Right. Yeah, Especially absolutely. one that like, cause there's franchises that were like, okay, we know we're going to make these three, like Lord of the Rings is the obvious like version of this. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's one gigantic story. Right. Whereas lethal weapon, they made the first one. It made a bunch of money. Like, Oh, I guess we'll do a sequel. And then that made a bunch of, Oh, I guess we'll do another sequel. So, so yeah. it's not something that was necessarily plotted out from the beginning, but if someone told me that it was, I would believe it. Right. And and that is the mark of great sequels, that if you watch them, you wouldn't know that they were reacting yeah. to what worked before, but that it feels like a complete arc for all these characters. And I think Lethal Weapon really achieves that in an yeah. outstanding way. I, I absolutely agree. And I think the only movie that sort of sticks out a little bit is the second one. Mm. precisely because i think it was they were still approaching it with that mindset of okay we're making a sequel this will be it you know but i think when the movie came out and people realized or like you know donner and them realized they're like oh we're not done (laughs) yeah we're not done it's kind of like you know like the the piece of trivia that goes around that you know that Back to the Future was never intended to have a sequel. That was just, you know, sort of like a joke at the audience. Like, oh, yeah, no, it's never going to end. You know, they keep having to fix mistakes in time. And then, you know, when the, when the word came in that, like, people were nuts about this movie, you know, Michael J. Fox is like, oh, we're not done. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, okay. you got the word from the agent. It's like, oh, what do you reel for the second? It was like, second one. It's like, oh, man, no, we're actually yeah. doing this. Yeah. So I feel like the second one wasn't made with the concept of, like, sustainability in mind because i feel like if it if it was like in a retrospective fashion lorna cole would have been the love interest in the second movie yes yes that's probably true i don't think they would have introduced a love interest that got killed off again 
um, in, in the second movie if they were thinking ahead. And I think that's mm-hmm. why three and four are really underrated because a lot of people consider those like the lesser of the franchise, but like they're a unit for me, right? Like, like mm-hmm. the whole, all four is just a unit. And I think three and four is where they really sort of expand and embrace the concept that they're, you know, telling an ongoing story um, about these people's lives, you know? Right. And it's interesting that, you know, people kind of shit on number two a little bit. Um, But like, you know, you talked about, you know, three doing really well and four doing okay. The second one was the highest grossing of the four. Yeah. Right. I mean, it made like $150 million. People wanted more after the first one. For a movie movie that had a budget of like 15 to 20 million dollars. That is insane. You made six times your budget. Like that's crazy. Uh, But like, I don't know. It's funny. If you were to ask me like what my favorite one is, I don't even know how to answer it, you know, because they all just feel not that they feel the same, but they feel tied together to me. Yeah. You know, so it's hard for me to be like, well, like this one, I didn't like that. Blah, 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 blah. Like, I mean, I think I'd probably go with number three because Renee Russo, like she really stands out as like kind of improving this in a way that like modernizes this, uh, this, uh, this particular sequel, but like, they're all really good, man. Like Like, one, two, three, four, all great. Yeah. And I think that's, that's why that question you asked me, was kind of so easy to answer because you can sit back and pick apart the different diehard moves and say, yeah, this one's my favorite. That one's my favorite. Yeah. It's a lot true. harder to do that with lethal weapon. You know, they are absolutely a unit. They're all directed by Richard Donner. They're all, you know, that same creative force, that same creative energy. Every time he comes back to the table, he's saying, how do I, what story do I tell with these characters? You know, it's right. not what building do I blow up? Where, where do I put John McClane now? Like what terrorist mm-hmm. is he going to run into? It's like, what, what story am I telling with these, you know, this family? You know, and they're cops, so it's easy. You can always stick them in a new situation because that's their job. It's literally sure. their job. With sure. John McClane, there's this whole other thing where he has to run into this extraordinary situation alone, and, alone, mm-hmm. and then they're one-upping themselves the whole time. Where with Lethal Weapon, it's like, eh, you know, these are these are criminals. They're crazy criminals, you know. But it's not, you know, there's no nuclear bomb. We're not going to blow up the East Coast, you know. There's right. nothing like that. And, and so, also like the fact that I think it's in this one, right? Where like the bad guy is an ex-cop. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Which, which is like kind of a twist for the eighties and nineties. Like I could yeah. see that happening now for sure. Very easily where, you know, we're in a time where maybe, maybe police aren't seen as, you know, law and order and the nicest guys in the world. Right. But yeah. back in the nineties, like to have your villain be one of your own. I dug yeah. that. I dug that little yeah, twist. Absolutely. And I think, I think the thing about uh, Lethal Weapon for me, I think if I had to go into my head, pick a favorite, it's probably the first one. Mm. Uh, but only because, like like you said, like Die Hard's like the best action movie ever made to you. And I I don't know that I agree or disagree with that. I, I probably agree on, on, on some days, you know? Sure, I think I'm, sure. I'm hard-pressed to find anything else, you know, like anything else that's like uh, not like outside the science fiction genre as well, like you know, like some people say, oh, Terminator 2. But like Terminator 2 is also a science fiction movie, you know? Yeah, and like Mad if, Max is an apocalypse yeah, movie. Exactly. Like it's, yeah, sure, sure. So like for like a genre cornerstone, like foundation, yeah, it's Die Hard. But the only reason, as far as overall quality, that it's not Lethal Weapon for me is because, like I said, if you take the action out of Lethal Weapon, you still have a damn good movie, right? Yeah. It does not live and die on its action scenes. So yeah. like as a movie... You know, regardless of genre, I think Lethal Weapon's higher for me. Oh, but like, okay. you know, Die Hard, Die Hard's a, a thrill machine, you know? And I think yeah. Lethal Weapon is more of, like I said, like emotionally resonant. Right. And yeah. I think that's something that is very hard to duplicate in the genre because yes. they focus so hard on the antagonistic aspects of the buddy cop formula. Right. right. You know, I, I get why it's a necessary step in that relationship but like man i don't want to watch two guys hate each other for 90 minutes uh, i mean un- unless know, it's it- interesting like that's what i was kind of expecting when i sat yeah. down with this because i hadn't yeah. seen it in so long and you remember all the i'm too old for this shit and them going yeah. back and forth because those are really great comedic beats yeah and you just forget that like that's actually not that much of these movies yeah 
It's really like, not. There's like one or two moments in each one of these movies where you could tell Murtaugh is like, you got to be fucking kidding me. I'm dealing <laughs> with this idiot again. Um, and then there's like maybe the first 20 minutes of Lethal Weapon 1. But other than that, man, they just fucking love each other, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They just, you know, they care about one another. And that's yeah. that's the interaction usually is Murtaugh getting upset at Riggs because he's not taking care of himself. Yeah. And like, what a crazy, crazy thing to put in a buddy cop action movie Yeah, that like, I'm angry with you because I'm worried about you. Like, yeah. oh, my God. And again, as you mentioned a couple of times, it works so well because he's a dad. Yeah, that's exactly what he would do if one of his kids was being self-destructive is like, I need you to take care of yourself because I can't be watching over you 24 right. hours a day. I have a job. I have a life. I need you to survive. I need you to be okay. Oh, yeah. And like, and you get that. And, and I love the fact that they never have to say it. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't yeah. have to be that blunt. You just get it from their interactions. And I, I, I love that. Like nowadays it's almost unthinkable to take, two like titans of acting and stick them in a buddy cop movie like it's nobody would do that right no like there's nobody nobody who's from that old guard school of acting that you could say oh yeah let's just uh stick them in an action comedy movie like it it doesn't happen like like beverly hills cop you hired a comedian right Right. like like even even like any other one i'm like hard pressed to think of them like even even okay, like the last Boy Scout, another Shane Black joint. Like it's Bruce Willis, action star, and then like Damon Wayans, um, you know, comedian. Right. You know? Right. Um, and it's like they're not they're not Mel Gibson and Danny Glover, you know? Right. And I found it very fascinating how the Bad Boys franchise, which so desperately wants to be, you know, the the true successor to Lethal Weapon. Oh, like totally. The, like the first movie. Like, I love it, but, like, it doesn't quite pull off that brotherhood dynamic very well. Um, no, like, I, think it, I think it's a little too antagonistic yeah, between the two of them. I think the second one's almost the same, but what I was surprised by is how well Will Smith and Martin Lawrence carried their age and, the, like, their mm-hmm. maturity in the third one. Yes. You know? Like, mm-hmm. they brought, like, lethal weapon levels of pathos to to this trilogy that like never even deserved it no definitely not like like i (laughs) fucking cared about these guys in the third one you know and it was like wow like where did this come from and it's it feels like they took a page out of lethal weapons book you know right like they they did their homework and honestly i think like okay this is shitty to say but i just i just don't think there will be there will ever be another um, You're right. And I think it's not only because you have two great actors and you do both of them, especially during this period of time. Yeah. Oh, my God. Just wonderful. But it's just so hard to balance what right. they're doing here, like the action and the comedy and the empathy that this movie mm-hmm. has. It's so hard to balance. So, you know, bad boys, as you mentioned, too much, a little too much antagonism. Yeah. Um, the nice guys, which I love, which I think is a wonderful movie. Yeah. It's, it's a, like in, in terms of comparison to this, it's much, it leans on the comedy much, much more. Right. It, it lacks which, the empathy. Yeah. Which, which makes it a great comedy. Yeah. But, but I would not call it an action comedy. Not at all. Right. You know, and and kind of the kind of the same thing with uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, you yep. know, where it's like you could tell it's a Shane Black movie. But like, man, this really was like the perfect storm oh, yeah. of great actors, great writing, tremendous direction. Yeah. And it really just all came together in 1987 in this really amazing way and gave us the greatest buddy cop team that will ever be. Like, I'm prepared to say that, that as long as I live, I don't think that there will be another buddy cop movie that even like if this is an A, you're not even getting to B plus. No, you're like not. it's just like it's just the perfect moment in time and the perfect people involved. So um, are we are we going to talk about what we're going to do next time? Yeah, uh, so I have decided um, so. <laughs> so I know things that you are a big fan of. Yes. Um, so I don't know if you, given given people's reaction to this movie, as oh, I boy. recall, I don't know if you're going to be very excited or very upset. 
by this. Oh boy. But we are going to watch Star Trek three. Oh, that's what's coming next. And there's a whole thing that like the odd number ones are bad and the even number ones are good. So, but I haven't watched this in many years. So this is the search for Spock. Uh, We're going to watch Star Trek three. That's, 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 that's what we're going to do. All right. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be a long episode. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, just shut up, Joe. No yeah. more talking from you. <laughs> We're done. All right. Sounds good. Good.